Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a 1500 ESPN Twin Cities production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock em, suck em. Hello again on the Purple Podcast, coming to you from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, the happiest place on earth, Winter Park, home of your undefeated Minnesota Vikings, preparing for their Monday night showdown with the New York Giants. Vikings trying to win on Monday night for the first time since uh, about this time in 2009 when Brett Favre beat the Green Bay Packers. The Vikings have lost, I believe, six straight on Monday Night Football, the second longest streak in the league. Mike Zimmer, no doubt, knows that, and no doubt will be using it for motivational kindling for the Vikings' fire as they go into Monday Night trying to get to 4-0 and beat the New York Giants. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, cover the Vikings for them. Joined, as always, by Matthew Collar, who covers the Vikings for 1500 and 1500ESPN.com. We are heading into week four already, and uh, we are breaking down what to expect Monday night between the Vikings and Giants as the Vikings head into this game coming off what I thought was a statement defensive performance uh, against the Carolina Panthers. The question, Matthew, I think, is when they're getting as little as they are from their offense and their defense is playing at such a high level, we've seen some precedent for this in NFL history recently, but is this sustainable? When you are averaging 4.6 yards a play and ranking 30th in the NFL in that, I think that it's certainly worth a cause for concern there. And 2.1 yards per rushing attempt. Now, there's good news and bad news with the statistics about the rushing and yards per play. I mean, the bad news, of course, is that if you continue to rush that poorly and have that few yards per play, there's just no way you can be a great team. Yeah. I mean, even even Denver wasn't that poor. I mean, they had a pretty good rushing game, yeah. and they were mediocre offensively, but not 
abysmal, right? And right now, in terms of the yards per play, the Vikings qualify as abysmal. But the good news on that is that they will definitely not have 2.1 yards per rushing attempt per uh, for the entire season unless they're the worst rushing team in the history of the National <laughs> yes. Football League. I think last year's low, if you have it called up there on your computer or not, but I think last year's lowest yards per attempt was 3.3. So they're way below that, which means they will get it going. And I also thought... They only did... I had a giant statistical repository with all this information. <laughs> right. Only I think... ESPN had a... Uh, stats and information department that I can look up things at. I actually thought keep in, tap dancing. In, I'll look it up. In terms of the running game, that last week there were times where it looked pretty good with Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, but I would agree. The, but the passing game had such trouble with the offensive line early uh, in the game that they couldn't get anything going by getting four or five yards per rush with McKinnon. And then he gets to the fourth quarter. They load up on the rush. They're trying to kill the clock. And he has a couple of negative runs that made it look worse than it was, I yes. thought, in terms of the overall effectiveness. But to the bigger point in what you're saying is if they don't improve the offensive efficiency, if they don't hit more big plays than just the two long passes to digs that they've had, then this offense eventually will lose some games for them if it continues to be like this. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think, I mean, that is the whole the whole problem is if you get to a point where there's not some kind of consistent production and you don't have anything sustainable, that, that is going to become an issue. There's going to become a game at some point where you lose because of that, I would think. The lowest last year uh, average yards per attempt was the Chargers at 3.46. The Vikings last year were fourth in the league, obviously with Adrian Peterson at 4.66. The Broncos last year averaged, this is great, Great podcast here as I look it up. They were 13th in the league at 4.18. Okay, so they were like a mediocre rushing game overall. But I guess the point is that the lowest you said was 3.4. Yeah, so so you have to be like a full yard better just to be the worst based on what happened last year. So unless they are really that bad, and I don't think they are, uh, you you can say that there's probably a regression to the mean coming, and that for the Vikings will be a positive I guess it's not really a regression to the mean. It's a progression, progression yes. to the mean uh, that should be coming for the Vikings. See, all these people that think we're too negative, <laughs> everything's fine. They're 3-0. and The running game's going to get better. Statistically, we've just proven it. Okay, but here's, the, go. but here's the question, though. Those plus 20-yard plays that yep. they've had so few of. Yes. Jarek McKinnon will bust one here or there. Right. I, I'm sure of that. Right. Where are they coming from in the passing game if teams start to slow down Stephon Diggs? Well, that is the question, and I don't know that there's another guy that you sit there and say there's going to be a lot of that. And that's really where I think Charles Johnson not producing like they seem to be counting on is hurting because Charles Johnson, we've seen it over the last couple of years when he's been healthy and when he's clicked with, generally I guess it's been Teddy Bridgewater that he's clicked with, he can be a good downfield threat. We saw in the preseason there were a couple of plays – uh, late in the 2014 season, I think there was a game, uh, I want to say it was the game against the Jets that they won in overtime that year where Johnson had a couple long receptions from Teddy Bridgewater, obviously had the big catch last year against the Bears and what was really only his one of his only big plays of the season where he goes up and, and takes away a 34-yard pass uh, from a Bears defender, maybe even two Bears defenders, I can't remember, but I remember going up and high-pointing the ball and making one of the biggest catches of the season in that comeback win at Soldier Field, so he is capable of that, but you need to see 
him kind of getting on the same page, I think, with, with Sam Bradford. And, and if that's not there, yeah, I don't really know who it is because I don't think it's Laquan Treadwell. I mean, Adam Thielen, probably not. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's hard to imagine where that's going to come from if not from Stephon Diggs. And that's that's kind of where, you know, not having Adrian Peterson probably hurts you is that, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, Adrian Peterson has been your your big play guy. You, you haven't needed that from a receiver because you get those home run type plays from him. Whether they were going to get them or not this year, I'm not sure. I mean, McKinnon will be capable of some of those, but – uh, yes, the big chunk type plays, as as teams like to call them, are are a little hard to come by. Yeah, I mean that's the thing with Stephon Diggs that a lot of teams, and one of the things that's going to help him is that a lot of teams are going to see him on film making a couple of deep catches and adjusting to the ball and making great plays yep. and and getting some separation with his cornerback. But they're going to game plan for that. That doesn't mean that you can entirely take it away, but he cannot be the only guy on the team who can bust a play for more than 20 yards. And when I look at the wide receiving core, I don't see anybody else either because that was never going to be Laquan Treadwell's job, no. even if he was playing. I think maybe some people might look at that and go, well, once he comes in or he's ready to go, that he'll be the guy they can yeah. use that with. But he ran a four six forty at the at the combine, and the 40 is certainly not everything, but he is not the quickest and doesn't create the most separation. He's when you're talking of, about big-time plays on the field, it certainly is a instructive metric right yeah i mean you don't you don't need um too much football knowledge to know the right. faster guy has a better chance of getting deep yep. quicker yep. um with the explosiveness i always saw treadwell as a guy a red zone yes. threat that sort of thing so then who do you turn to like you said Thielen is not quite that guy and i don't know if johnson is either i don't know how long to give that I mean, yeah, three, three yeah. weeks we've seen absolutely nothing except for one play where he's open and can't make the catch down the sideline. So is this a small sample problem where it's only been three games, don't overreact, Johnson will be a part of the offense? Or is it more of, well, this really isn't working there and Rudolph and Diggs are going to catch a lot of shorter passes. So I, I was even thinking McKinnon in the passing game being yeah. a guy who could look to break some big plays. Well, and I just, yeah, I mean, it, Mike Zimmer, I think I'd asked this week, earlier this week, maybe it was even today, the days were running together, if Charles Johnson is getting separation. And he said, yeah, sometimes. I mean, and that that's sort of the thing, I think, with Charles Johnson is that He's got enough long speed, but I think his ability to get away from defensive backs, whether it's by doing some hand fighting at the line of scrimmage or by making some moves to shake free of those guys, is something you want to see him probably do a little bit better mm -hmm. because he has not looked like he's on the same page with these quarterbacks, and, and that's to be expected as it takes some time to get used to these guys, but... The ability to set up defensive backs and separate from them is still something they want to see probably more often. And if he can do that, it certainly would help. I think if you're looking for a boost right now from the passing game, that to me is the guy you look at first. Because I think I, I really do think with his combination of size, and he, he's faster than people realize, I think if he's able to separate and able to, to do some things to get himself open and get on the same page, he can provide a boost. I, I've 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 always thought that with him, and I've, I've probably I put fantasy teams where my mouth is before, and and got burned on that a little bit last year. Probably because he was hurt more than anything else. But I still do think that there's more there for him to do, and that to me is the guy that if you're going to get another option in the passing game, that's the first guy you look at. Yeah, and the other thing with 
may, you know, creating some more big explosive plays from this offense is Sam Bradford's going to have to have time to throw the ball yes. if that's going to happen. The only other way to do it is to hope for the old yak, yes. to hope some yards after catch and short passes maybe to someone like McKinnon, or we've seen Diggs is is Diggs is pretty good after the catch. Yeah, he's very good at, at uh, catching the ball and, and, and creating some yards after that. But if you're going to get anything down the field so teams can't start creeping up on you, yeah. you're going to have to prove that you could stand in the pocket for three seconds because so far – Andre Smith has. Uh, we like to look at those Pro Football Focus ratings. Yeah, I was looking at. I was. I went looking for Giants. Right, so I was like, oh, I want to look at their offensive line because I think it's been pretty good. And I was like, oh, I wonder where Andre Smith is. Scroll down, scroll down, <laughs> page four. Yeah, he was one of the lowest rated yeah. in the entire NFL so far, and that shows up from watching the game as well. And if I mean your key tackle is giving up that many pressures and just getting bowled over like he was by. Uh, Edwards the other day for the I think it was Edwards for yeah. the Panthers yes. just, just trucked him over yeah I mean it just shouldn't happen then I don't see how they're going to have time for Bradford to throw any deep balls because I mean we saw in that Packers game and he's shown it throughout his career at times he can definitely get the ball downfield if he has a chance yeah he's got a big enough arm to do it and I think he's accurate enough to do it it hasn't for whatever reason I mean then his numbers on that haven't been great in his career but he certainly has the ability to do it, and I think you've seen him do it well at times. But, yes, you have to have time to set some of those things up, and you have to have guys that can get open enough to, to get a step on the defensive back to do it. So, I mean, yes, you, that is something you want to see develop, and I think that will help the running game too in some ways. If you get guys to have to, to honor that a little bit more, your safeties can't cheat up quite as much, and, and that creates a little more room in the running game. And, and our, our stats and information people – pass this along today the Vikings have run for 153 yards in three games that is the fewest yards from any team that has started 3-0 wow the next team on that list was the 2015 Denver Broncos things worked Hmm. out okay for them yes that's Uh, true next on that list was the 2007 Green Bay Packers before uh, who went to the NFC title game before Brett Favre did to the Packers in his final pass for them what he did to the Vikings in 2009 but uh then in 98 was the uh the 98 Packers I think were fourth on the list so teams that have made the playoffs you can do it but you would still like to see them get better at it running the ball and I think they will yeah and I think um when it comes to the running game overall and in stats like that is you know, a lot of times when teams are 3-0, and they've been beating up on their opponents, and then they get to the fourth quarter, and they run the ball, and they yep. pick up yards yep. that way. And, I mean, we've seen Adrian Peterson do this throughout his career where, yep. hey, you know, you're up by two touchdowns going into the fourth quarter, and AP breaks off a 70-yarder, and he finishes the game for them. Yep, basically. did it to Oakland last year at an 80-yard touchdown that basically iced the game. Yep, and I, and I looked up his stats, like his, his splits for last year especially, and he was averaging far more yards in the fourth quarter than he was. Yes. And far more yards when they were leading. He was kind of like a Mariano Rivera. Yes. You bring him in to close this thing out. He had like seven yards of carry or something at one point in the it, fourth quarter. Yeah, I think that was it. It was like something in the sixes or, yeah. or, or seven yards per carry. because big he, runs that probably bring that up. But. Yeah, had broken off a couple of them. And, and th- that's been the thing with these couple of games is that they've been really close. Yeah. For the most part, and except and McKinnon was not able to act like the closer um, against Carolina because he was slowed down in the fourth quarter, and that hurt some of his numbers. But I think that that's probably where that stat comes from in a way. 
And, you know, I also think that they will improve it. But it's certainly not a stat that says, oh, this isn't sustainable. I think the question about, like, that 538 article and about whether they can actually be good is how much you believe Sam Bradford will grow the offense as we go forward. And I think uh, Bradford himself insinuated today that he's finally starting to really get it. Well, I also thought it was very interesting, something he said today, and, and this kind of became a theme of his press conference, I thought, was how much freedom or not, or lack thereof, I guess, that he has at the line of scrimmage. He he kind of said, well, you know, they, I've gotten a few more plays where I can make checks, and I I would like to have more of that. I, I want to get to a point where they they give me a little more leeway at the line of scrimmage as I get more comfortable. And, and I think, and I asked him this, and he said, yeah, this can help with the running game too. Is you know a lot of it with the running game, as he said, is getting into the right looks. I mean, half, that can be half the battle, as he put it sometimes, of just getting in the right uh, personnel package, getting in the right play. If you have a look where okay, we need more running strength on the left side of the line, we can motion a guy over and or switch the direction of the run if the defensive strength is, is one way or the other. All the things that people do on Madden, it's it's not a huge mystery. If he has more freedom to do that, I think that can certainly help. And it was interesting to hear him talk about that in light of the fact from what I've heard and kind of been told over the years, and Teddy Bridgewater certainly alluded to this at the end of last year, this is not necessarily an offense that gives its quarterbacks a ton of freedom, at least by modern NFL standards at the line of scrimmage. And it will be interesting to see if with a veteran quarterback like Bradford, not a guy that is in his second year like Bridgewater, if they start to kind of loosen those reins at some point here. Which, by the way, my Madden offense was to call the same play every time and then switch change, the direction yeah, of the run, change everything at the line oh, yeah. of scrimmage. Yeah. Oh yes, I mean that it works so well in that game because you, I mean, you could just do the same thing and just read the where the strength of the defense is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know that that in some ways is is what they're doing at this level too. I mean, on a very that's a very simple level of it, but there's a reason that some guys, Teddy Bridgewater, chief among them, have said, "Well, I can I can learn a lot from." playing Madden about how defenses function. It's not a perfect example of it, but there are some similarities that, that hold true in the real thing. It is funny about that, though, because I, uh, when Steph Curry first got drafted mm-hmm. by the Warriors, yeah. I took Steph Curry and shot 500 three-pointers with him on a video game season, <laughs> and then it came true in real yeah, life. Yeah. Like the, so There are some things in the video games. Teams go for it on fourth down more than right. they, than they yep. ever did, and I remember hearing or reading a story about John Madden was actually the real John Madden was mad about how often people were going for it on fourth down. So he wanted the designers. <laughs> it's not fun to punt. Yeah. Come on, Madden. I know, I know, Madden. He wanted the – but then he had Ray Guy, so maybe yeah. it was fun. Well, sure. Fun. So he actually wanted uh, the video game makers to make it more difficult on fourth down so you'd get it less often. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> well, and then you do the Ask Madden thing, and he tells you, just punt it away. I'm like, no, forget that. Yeah, I want to go for it. Yeah, it's no fun to – have to go punt all the time and play field position. I want to try to chuck it down the field on fourth down. But to your point, a lot of the best quarterbacks in the league, Cam Newton usually does this, right? He comes up to the line and he reads the defense and then he makes the appropriate changes. And that was one of the things when they traded for Bradford that I wondered about because you're bringing in a guy and we almost forget just because he's been here for a couple weeks now how raw he really is that they spend what a whole month of training camp and OTAs and install and all this stuff. They spend all this time 
timing the plays down to the very second yes. and timing you know and having everybody on the same page right. for every single read and having to pick that up and i think the way he's performed considering that that's been the case has been really good yeah it speaks to how intelligent of a guy he is and how good he's probably got at picking things up given the number of times he's had to do that already in his career with all the different systems and coordinators he's had and and he talked about how he's still sort of translating certain concepts and certain routes to old systems he's played in but I mean give him credit for the fact that that he's been able to be out there and, and play serviceably well in that little bit of time when he didn't have that whole install phase that is so valuable especially for quarterbacks to develop timing with receivers I, I think he's done just about everything you could ask him to do he hasn't thrown an interception yet which is a huge part of it I mean a, a guy that hadn't I mean, he's not. He hasn't been terrible about interceptions, but certainly not the best quarterback in the league about taking care of the ball necessarily. And and so far, he's done that really well. Well, that's one of the interesting things about uh, stats. Sometimes is it can be a little bit of pick your own adventure right, because right. if you consider the fact that they haven't taken many sacks and that they haven't turned the ball over the quarterbacks for the Vikings, the yep. offense and you adjust for that, then they're like 10th in the league. I saw this from a football perspective that if you you know take the adjusted yards per attempt right. for those two factors, then they look like their offense isn't all that bad. So it's like, all right, which way do you want to look at it? And, and I guess the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. It's unacceptable if you want to be a great team, what they've had so far, a great team. But maybe when you just look at yards per play, it doesn't tell the entire story the thing with Bradford that's interesting to me is watching these first couple of games with him in is every game for me is an evaluation of just how good is this guy because I feel like the picture on him from the Rams to the Eagles to here is so muddy yeah the guy has just never had a great situation even last year there was a great breakdown by Chris B Brown of smart football writes the the books there yeah Mm -hmm. about Chip Kelly's offenses and how predictable they became in year three and who's the quarterback it's poor Sam Bradford there sure and he still had a really good second half of a season but so he had the messy situation there he had the St. Louis Rams who were just really really bad and he's being thrown right in and expected to save the franchise so here we are a win now a good team and through two weeks, the results are, I would say, very good. I mean, you go 2-0, and of course, but uh, you beat two teams that are supposed to be, uh, you know, Super Bowl possibilities. Yeah. So now, it's for me, it's a mystery of where that's going to go. Is it going to go back toward his six yards per attempt year? Or is it going to go toward, hey, maybe this is a guy who can come into his prime at 27 and be really good? Well, it's interesting because there's... I mean, and you mentioned it, there's so many mitigating factors with this guy, whether it's been injuries or coaching changes or goofy Chip Kelly offenses. I mean, whatever you want to pick, there's a lot of reasons where you can say, yeah, he hasn't been number one pick guy in terms of how good you expected him to be. But there's always something that, okay, how much of this is really him and how much of it is a product of his circumstances? It will be very interesting to see what he does in – the rest of this season and the beginning of next year, because I do think he's going to be the starting quarterback at least at the beginning of next season, if not for a larger chunk of next season, based on what we think Teddy Bridgewater's recovery timetable is going to be. It will be interesting to watch if he gets into a situation here where there's some stability around him and he gets a chance to, to kind of develop because he hasn't had that number one. And number two, when you look around the league at, at the best quarterbacks in the league through the, the course of the, the full season last year, 
Tony Romo, Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers, obviously Tom Brady. Roethlisberger. I mean, Roethlisberger. I mean, statistically, those are the best guys. All of them are in their 30s. All of them have had time to see everything, to experience everything, to be able to get to the line of scrimmage and know exactly what's going to happen, to, to be able to play out a play in their minds before anything really happens. It takes some time to get to that point. And, and Sam Bradford has played – yeah, I mean, yes, he's been in the league now six, seven years, but he's had a couple of those seasons that have been washed away by injuries and, and the number of different variables that have gone on for him. You do wonder if – like you say, there's a chance that if he gets some stability around him, if he gets a chance to, to kind of just be in a in a predictable situation in the sense that he knows what he's dealing with every day, if he will take that step, it's going to be interesting to watch that. It is a rich-get-richer type of situation with that because, I mean, even like Drew Brees, for example, and yeah. I know that it's, you know their defense is an absolute disaster, but he – Usually, if your quarterback is good, then you keep your coach for a long time because you win games because your quarterback is good. And then if you're with the same coach and the same staff for a long time, you know the offense better and you continue to get better. And if you have weapons around you, then you're even better and better, like Ben Roethlisberger. And we've seen – Eli Manning's a good example of this, too. We've seen – where some of these guys, and I think this happened to Roethlisberger, have had some dips in their career and they've changed offensive coordinators, and then they've taken steps forward. And I think this was one of the cases with Eli Manning. They installed a different offense. Now he gets the ball out super fast, and he's got Odell Beckham. So he has this terrible year where he throws a ton of interceptions, maybe more than touchdowns, which is just you never see that anymore. Yep. And then he bounces back in the next two years, including so far this year, he's really good. And so I think that there's probably a few of those quarterbacks who are so exceptional that nothing can knock them off, whether it's a new coach or whether it's bad weapons or anything. That's Tom Brady for you, as long as he has Belichick, I guess. Right. And then there's like, I think Sam Bradford goes in the category of your circumstances are going to dictate just how good you end up being. And with the fact that he's the number one pick too, always makes me tip toward this guy could be better than we've ever seen. Right, because, because obviously the talent was there for somebody to take him number one. Exactly. Like you, you and I go out there and watch him throw warm up passes, yeah. and it's like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, yeah, I have, but I mean, like, wow. I mean, it just is. It's his, been a while since there's <laughs> been an arm like that around here. I'll tell right. you that. The the velocity yep. and how fast he gets that ball out and his release and just like, okay, this guy has all the talent. It's very interesting to watch that when he's standing next to Sean Hill, too. It's kind of like the old, if you're a bride in a wedding, you don't want your bridesmaids to look too good standing next to you kind of thing. And far be it for us to, to sit here and, and have any knowledge of what that's like. But uh, there may be some similarities there. Andy Carlson here for the Purple for the Win podcast, dedicated to the pain and pleasure that is the Minnesota Vikings and baby. 1500 ESPN has seen a fit to bring us into the sphere this year, so we'll be doing three shows a week, talking Vikings, have a car wash of fantastic guests, talk at length about the backup tight end situation, and remember, everyone's middle name is Jerome. It's going to be a lot of fun, or terrible. It'll be one of the two. Get it on the 1500 and Podcast One app or on iTunes or at purpleftw.com. Let's go. You mentioned, going back to what you said before about some stability with head coaches, longest tenured head coaches in the NFL. Bill Belichick, obviously, number one. Brady. Uh, Brady. Uh, Marvin Lewis is two. That might be kind of the exception in terms of having They've a great really quarterback to get them through. they blood from a stone there with they Andy have, Dalton. They I have, think. and it's an ownership group that – probably a little more old-fashioned maybe doesn't maybe doesn't want to 
you know, upset things and have to go hire a coach and probably pay for another coach given the way they tend to operate. Um, I don't respect you know, Dalton a lot. Yeah. And I think like the numbers that he has and the wins that they have kind of speak maybe to the coaching staff as yeah. much as they yeah. they speak to Andy Dalton. I mean, Mike Zimmer came out of there. I mean, Jay Gruden too. So, I mean, there's been some guys that have come out of there and, and have become head coaches. And Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson. Um, third on the list, Mike McCarthy. He was hired the same year as Sean Payton. Both those guys obviously have great quarterbacks. Mike Tomlin is is sixth on the list and or fifth on the list. Two thousand seven, he's had Roethlisberger, and then you get on the list from there. It's it's John Harbaugh, Jason Garrett, Pete Carroll. You can, I mean, John Harbaugh and, and Pete Carroll have rings. Jason Garrett obviously does not, but all of those teams have at least had stable quarterbacks. I mean, I, you go down the, the list of those last three. The only quarterback that I would say is great of those of the quarterbacks those three teams have had is Russell Wilson, yeah. but. Joe Flacco has a Super Bowl, and Tony Romo has been a very productive quarterback in this league for a long time. So that stuff does kind of feed on itself, where if you have the quarterback, things are more stable, nobody gets fired, it all just kind of builds on itself. Which it will be really interesting, like you said, with Sam Bradford and then Teddy Bridgewater's situation. And, I mean, this is this is quite a bit down the road, but it is going to be something that week by week we're always thinking about with Bradford is what is his future here in Minnesota? Because you, know, you trade a first-round pick for a rental quarterback who's on a one-year deal. Yep. It's different than a guy who's on a two-year deal. And also different if there's the potential for that guy to be the quarterback long term. I mean, I think that potential is absolutely there yeah. for him to yeah. throw for 4,000 yards and 25 touchdowns and 10 picks. And then you look at him and maybe go, I, I think we're going to go his direction and yeah. then trade Bridgewater. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. And, they, and you see it the way they talk about Teddy Bridgewater, the way Mike Zimmer talks about Teddy Bridgewater. It is going to be very difficult for them not to take a longer look at Teddy Bridgewater when he is healthy. I, I mean, I I think he's going to have the benefit of the doubt. I think they like him enough. I, I think they think highly enough of him and what he's been in the organization that he's going to get another shot. But if he's not healthy, I mean, that's that changes everything, obviously. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out um, in the long term. Now, shifting back to the short term, the New York Giants this week, a team that, that has kind of gone through a lot of adjustments. I mean, the last time they were here, they didn't have Odell Beckham. They didn't really have any other targets for Eli Manning. They didn't have anything to play for. They had basically just been eliminated from the playoff race by the time that game started here on Sunday night last December, and the Vikings blew them out. Mike Zimmer said today, you can't really even compare that game because this team is so different. And you Beckham look at it, play, right? Beckham did not play. It was the week after the thing with Josh Norman where he, they went at it and he got suspended for that game. And when that happened, it was like, okay, I mean, you don't want to assume anything, but this looks like a game the Vikings could win pretty handily, and they did. I mean, they pulled away from the Giants late in that game and, and won it big. So it's it's sort of hard to take much out of that game and compare it to this one. Eli Manning has been pretty bad in his career against the Vikings, and, and that has been brought up already this week, but – I mean, to me, this is a team that, that's in a lot different spot, obviously, with Ben McAdoo and the receivers that they have now with Victor Cruz back, Sterling Shepard along with Odell Beckham. What do you make of the Giants in terms of what kind of a test they, they give to the Vikings defense this week? I was thinking that the Giants might be one of the best teams in the NFC. Then they lost to Washington last right, week, right. and that was a major disappointment. But when I was watching All-22 film last night on the Giants – 
The one thing that stuck out to me is they might have the fastest get to the line, get the snap, and get the ball out in the NFL, or yeah. one of the fastest, yeah. that they have adopted that just no huddle, get to the line quickly, and then Eli Manning is releasing the ball really quick. So the battle here to me is the Vikings' defensive line and pass rush has been freakish yes. through the last couple of weeks. Yes. Like, Everson Griffin winning NFC player of uh, defensive player of the week, and the Linvel Joseph has three sacks in three weeks. Daniel Hunter looks fantastic. Right, yeah, Hunter's doing great. I mean, they've uh, Robinson has a couple of sacks himself. Tom Johnson is mixed in with some really nice pressures and sacks. And then you know they can blitz Harrison Smith whenever they want, and they can blitz Anthony Barr whenever they want. And there's just so many options there. But I wonder how much of that will be mitigated by the quick release of Eli Manning because if he's getting it out in 2.3 seconds I noticed that the the opponents whether it was Washington or the Saints or Dallas all of them were playing four-man rush and drop everybody else back to try and eliminate that and I wonder if Mike Zimmer tries something different yeah it'll be very interesting to see because Mike Zimmer has been more willing I think to blitz this year than we've seen in the past I mean the percentages on that are up a little bit from what they've always been in in his history as a defensive coordinator and as a head coach and and they you know they've been willing to do more of those things and they can do it because of you know what they have I mean because of all the flexibility and the continuity they have on offense but yes that could mitigate a lot of that when you have that quick moving offense and and that dictates how quickly you can substitute um how tired out you get obviously I mean there's a lot of different things that go into that that uh a quick-paced offense can uh, can change for you. So it, it's going to be interesting to watch that um, and just see how that plays out on Monday night. The point that you made about substituting mm-hmm. I think is a really big one yeah. because uh, I have been really amazed at what Mike Zimmer has done in mixing the personnel to every situation. Yeah. And he's got such depth of talent. You're missing Sharif Floyd, and you still go five or six deep with really good players. And so you've got situations where – on a third down and 10, you would have Robison coming in and lining up over a guard. Right. And right. last week, it really stuck out to me, and I think I mentioned this maybe on Sunday too, but it really stuck out to me that there was a play against the Packers where Robison lined up over the guard and, and rushed. Yep. And then there was a play against Carolina where he faked the rush and then dropped back, yeah. and Cam Newton hesitated for just a second. And if, if you could take away some of those things with the Giants, with the up-pay, uh, up-tempo pace – then I wonder if the Vikings will have a little more problems getting to the quarterback. So really, I think what they have to do is mix their coverages up so Manning gets confused for a second and then gives you the opportunity to get there because if he's going on first read, then he's going to be getting the ball out fast, and I don't think you have much of a chance there. And then you're relying entirely, which I think you feel okay about, uh, you're relying on Xavier Rhodes and Terrence Newman and, and how you're going to deal with that. But with Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard, they have some really good weapons who can get open. They do, and, and Sterling Shepard is going to be an interesting one to watch because of how – I mean, I, I remember watching him at the Senior Bowl. I really liked him down there. I mean, he was smooth and, and just seemed like a guy that got a lot of the nuances of playing receiver in the NFL before his age. I mean, I think that's going to be a matchup to watch on uh, a Monday night, particularly when he's lined up in the slot against Captain Marlin. But, I mean, obviously everything starts – for them with Odell Beckham and I think you had a you had an interesting conversation with Xavier Rhodes today about that I don't want to 
ask you to give away too many of yeah. of what's going to be too that's much of what's going to be the Monday feature it. everybody yeah so, so make sure you come coming. back and read it but uh, give us a little teaser of what to expect from Xavier Rhodes okay two things that Xavier Rhodes said that stuck out to me and again make sure you read the article on Monday still because it's going to have a lot of people's voices on uh, Odell Beckham but one of them was that uh, and, and Sterling Shepard but one of them he said about Beckham was that he will be physical deep into his routes sometimes okay. that he tries to get away with a lot when it comes to not just at the line of scrimmage where we talk about it all the time, yeah. but beyond that. You wonder if that's where some of the the tete-a-tete that he's had with uh, with corners mm-hmm. comes from. I would guess so, that's that probably. he's probably breaking some of the official rules, but we know that the league wants wide receivers to get what they want, right? Yes. I mean, they want yards, they want stars, and they've turned Odell Beckham into a megastar. And yes. whether you're you know, the best referee in the world is still not going to call it. It's almost like Seattle's theory, I think a few years ago, was you could call it some of the time, but if we do it on every play, you're not going to call it every play. And I think that's what Beckham will do sometimes. And the other thing about Shepard is he said – that guy's a great route runner, yeah. and he's five foot ten. You mentioned how smooth he is, though, yeah. and his ability yeah. to get open. And we've seen what smaller wide receivers, Wes Welker, we see it with Stephon Diggs, and how those guys can get open w- with their speed and route running ability. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a lot of that this week from Shepard, and that will be a real test for Captain Munerlin. That I-, I think they're going to have to rely on him there. Yeah, I-, I do too. I mean, I think, I mean, this has overall been a, a team that's been pretty good at shutting down some of these high octane passing games and not just this year. I mean, when, when, it, when Xavier Rhodes has had to shadow Calvin Johnson in the past, uh, when he's had Olshan Jeffrey, I mean, at, at times Olshan Jeffrey's gotten the better of him when he was younger, but I mean, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of times where he's been able to slow some of those guys down. And as a, it's a defense have been able to slow him down. And obviously we saw it last week with what they did to Calvin Benjamin. This though is probably a little bit different in the sense that, I don't know that they've played a team that's been this deep at receiver for a little bit now. I, I mean, Arizona yeah. probably is the last time they played a team that was this deep in terms of going three and four guys that can test you. It's going to be interesting to see how they approach that and, and how much stress that puts on them Monday night. Something to keep an eye on, too, is that Shane Vereen was a big part of their offense and he's going to be out, so it's going to be Richard Jennings, who was Who's also going to be out, I believe. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I think uh, Jordan Ronan, our, our Giants reporter, uh, reported that this morning that Rashad Jennings probably is not going to play. Oh, wow. So they're so, going to be down their their two top running yes. backs, and that's been a big part of their attack because Vereen has been very successful in running and receiving, and part of the idea of getting it out quick. And, and it also goes along with your blocking, too. But when it comes to getting it out quick, a lot of those throws, if the first read isn't there, goes right to the running back next. And they've busted off a couple of decent-sized plays throwing to Vereen. And uh, not only that, but there's the communication when it comes to the blitzing and pass rush that they might be able to take advantage of there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be – that, to me, is almost the, the thing that I want to see Monday night is – how that all works out, how they how they do with an offense that has this many different weapons to it. I mean, and most of those obviously are in the passing game right now. But I think Odell Beckham said it today um, to the New York media is that this game is almost a race between the Giants receivers and the Vikings defensive linemen, and mm-hmm. how he put it. And that's probably true because a lot of this is going to come down to how quickly you can get pressure on Eli Manning, who has been good at, at getting rid of the ball quickly, as you mentioned. And, and that probably has helped the Giants' protection when that has been an issue for them in the past. 
they've addressed that in the draft. I think they've tried to rebuild that offensive line. But can that group keep the Vikings out of the backfield, or can the Vikings get to Manning and and rattle him before he's able to get rid of the ball? And and those are going to be some of the things that I think dictate how this game goes on Monday night because. I mean, that that's kind of a strength versus strength thing there. I mean, the Vikings right now, I think, are rushing the quarterback. I, it's probably no stretch to say they're doing it better than any team in the NFL. The stats all say that. The tape would say that. They are dealing with a veteran quarterback who's been through a lot of this stuff that has people to throw to once again, and it's going to be interesting to see how all of that goes Monday night. I, I mean, I've gotten to a point with the Vikings defense where – and, you know, people kind of talk about wanting to see an offense and everybody wants to see scoring and, and highlight catches and, and big runs and all of that kind of stuff. The Vikings defense, for me at least, has gotten to be the thing that you tune in to watch. I, I That game against Carolina last week was so much fun to watch all the different things they were throwing at them and, just, and to watch the way that their defensive line in particular manhandled the Panthers in the second half and, and really took the game over, I, I think – that almost is becoming the thing that you tune in to watch the Vikings for, and that's fine. I mean, you don't have to have 38 to 35 games when you have a defense that's this creative, that's this athletic, and is playing this well. Yeah, so. I, and I would never go with um, the cliche of defense, defense wins, wins championships. championships. No, I because I don't really think that that's proven true just by the Broncos, but you know, some of the most dominant defenses that we've seen have been the ones that end up going deep, yes. like the Broncos, like Seattle, and even going back to San Francisco, too, yep. when they made it against Baltimore. Now, Baltimore beats them and doesn't have the best defense that year. And so they played they, in three straight NFC title games. Right, and and part of it was, you know, they didn't have always the best quarterback play with Alex Smith and, and Colin Kaepernick, but they did have that strong defense. So I, I think that's a great place to start with how good they've been. But uh, I mean, what, what I'm looking for when it comes to just circling back a little bit to that offensive line, it, it, the numbers on them. Now, they haven't played anybody great defensively. It's been Washington. It's been New Orleans, who's an abomination. And it's been uh, Dallas, who's been not that great on defense either. They've really trucked those defensive lines. And if there's any if there's a running game that they that they can create the giants i think that opens up everything and with the vikings it's just different because to me it all starts with linval joseph shutting down that running game they like to run out of the shotgun gives them so many more options gives them play fakes and things like that and this it's sort of the not talked about thing yep. is the panthers didn't run well last week eddie lacy didn't run well right. two weeks ago right. uh we talked about derrick henry leading into the tennessee game he didn't do anything right and and I, and I think that that's one of the things that we've sort of, hey, look at the pass rush, look at all the sacks. We haven't talked about that all the pressure has been on the, the quarterbacks. Well, and it's it's been – that's been an issue they've been trying to fix for the last couple of years, trying to get to the point where their run defense is as good as they think it should be, certainly the Mike Zimmer thinks it should be. And the thing you hear them talk about all the time is you earn the right to rush the passer. I mean, that has become an NFL truism. It's become a little bit of a cliche, but – in a lot of ways, it's true because if you get to a point where it's third and seven, not third and four, third and three, third and two, then you know what they're going to do. They become one-dimensional, and you can go after them. So I think that does go into it, and the fact that they've been as good as they have at stopping the run certainly facilitates some of the things that everybody's paying attention to, which is what they're doing to the quarterbacks. So if the Giants are, in fact, missing their top two runners on Monday night, that certainly bodes well for the Vikings. I, I think they're going to have their hands full with a lot of things, but 
this has been a team typically in the last couple of years that when they've lost games, it's been to teams that can control the game on the ground, not necessarily to teams that have been able to throw the ball all over them. They they have not had a lot of that happen to them. So if they are able to defend against the run, I think that will help a lot in terms of what they're able to do against that Giants passing game. And I have been trying to look this up for the last, like, ten minutes of this podcast. I've, <laughs> I wondered I've, what you were going after. I've there. been trying. Our, our stats and information department has all sorts of things, and you can basically find anything you want about what's going on, teams, players, all sorts of sortable stuff. I've been trying to find, since we were talking about the pace of the Giants' offense, uh, in terms of real time between plays, in other words, if you were running a stopwatch from the yes. end of one play to the start of the next, the Giants are the seventh fastest team in the league at 37.0 seconds between plays. Uh, in terms of time of possession between plays, I believe they are they are eighth there at 26.5 seconds. So Who's the fastest? Uh, the fastest is the 49ers. Oh, which, uh, uh, Chip, Chip Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Yep, I almost kind of forget that he's there. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, the Saints are number two, Drew Brees. Uh, the Bears are three. Uh, Bengals four, Buccaneers five, Falcons six, Giants seven. Uh, the Vikings for comparison's sake are twenty fifth in terms of real time in between snaps, time of possession. They are somewhere in the twenties. They are twenty seventh. So a little different pace of offense. Interestingly enough, the Eagles now are thirty second. So oh, wow. if you're used okay. to watching that sort of NASCAR offense in Philadelphia, it's not there anymore. I mean, it, Doug Peterson's pretty typical, traditional West Coast, but um, quite a bit of difference uh, from Chip Kelly to not there. So, at any rate, you are going to see a little bit more of the no huddle, up tempo stuff Monday night, and then you'll see it again actually the next week. The Texans are eighth in the league, so there's going to be a little bit of similarity there and. We'll get a chance twice in six days to see how the Vikings react to that. So that's certainly going to be something to keep an eye on. So are they winning? Are they winning this game, the Vikings? Yes, I think they are. Uh, I, I picked them twenty to ten. I think I just I think their defense. I'm I'm all in on their defense. I I've gotten to a point where you can't really. I mean, yes, there's a lot of things that you want to see them do better on offense, but I think their defense is playing at a a level that they're going to be in every game. I think. A lot of a lot of nights they're going to be able to win because they're just not going to give up that many points. And their special teams is really good. I mean, we don't give them a lot of credit. And, you know, Mike Prefer, I think, always kind of talks about how special teams doesn't get enough credit and it gets overlooked. And, and he, uh, I, I think, likes to chide us when we, we don't stick around for his press conferences sometimes. And um, they give him credit. I mean, you know, Blair Walsh probably notwithstanding <laughs> – uh, they've played really well. I mean, field position was a big part of the reason they came back in that game last week. Jeff Locke was great. Cordero Patterson, the gunner, was great. And I, I do think they win this. Um, I think they, you know, it's going to be tough at times, I think. But, yeah, I think they'll be good enough. And the defense will certainly carry them. I, I do think they win this one. I got them 20 to 10. What do you think? I think that they will also win this one. But I'm giving the Giants a little more points sure. credit for this. I, I think that... The defense has been unbelievable for the Vikings so far, but yeah. you know they've also relied on a lot of turnovers and things like that. And you talk about the special teams, a punt return for touchdowns. Yep. The, 
But I, I think that Bradford just continuing to get it more and more. I think the running game probably shows up this week for the first time. It's got to show up eventually, right? And maybe against a team with a little bit less on the front line than the last couple of teams. I mean, they did run into three teams with really good front fours. Yeah. And Luke Keekley playing, you know, on, on Carolina. So you've got, like, superstar talent on each three three of those teams. And the Giants, I think, are a little bit shorter to that. They went those from, ta- the tackles are pretty good. But, yeah, yeah. they may not be quite as, as uh, formidable maybe as – as uh, the Panthers and the Packers actually have defended the run really well too. Yeah, and they, I mean we're we're also talking about a team that that was really poor defensively. I think the Giants last yes, year. Yes. And then they they tried to make some improvements, so maybe they're a little better than they were. But you know what did they give up twenty nine last week to Washington? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you see a little more from the Vikings offense this week. I mean, if I'm picking a score, I would probably shoot more for something like thirty one twenty four. That I, I also think that fast fireworks offense, at US yeah, Bank Stadium. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, if you consider, I think that's like a very common yeah. 2016 score. It is. We that just haven't like seen a, a lot of that around. If it was here. like 94, we'd be like, wow, you think they're going to score that many? Yeah. But, you know, I think the way the league is, this will be much more of a. I could be completely wrong, <laughs> but I think it's much more of a normal 2016 offensive game than we've seen from Cam Newton scoring 10 points. Yeah, it will be. Uh, I think this is going to be a kind of a fun matchup. But this was a game kind of at the beginning of the season where I thought, well, sure, they they want to get the the new stadium and a, and a good team on Monday Night Football, and, and the Giants are always a draw because of the market size. And but I mean, this has turned into a, a fun little matchup. I think this is going to be a, an entertaining game Monday night. There's a lot of kind of chess match type things to to watch for, whether it's the pass rush against Eli Manning or the Vikings corners against the the Giants receivers and um, you know how how much the Vikings can do to be able to run the ball and get that going and, and yeah there's just a lot of different things that I, I think are going to be certainly worth watching Monday night and we will have plenty of coverage both on ESPN.com and 1500ESPN.com as uh, the game is broadcast of course on uh, the worldwide leader in sports and I think locally I believe it's on WCCO if you are among the cord cutting crowd we will uh, we'll forgive you for that. Um, it will be, I think, on WCCO locally. So uh, there will be plenty of places to watch it, and certainly we will have plenty of coverage for you on our respective outlets. And I believe we'll probably have a early morning Purple Podcast, oh, uh, yes. oh, early yes. Tuesday morning. Make sure you bring some coffee in the third quarter or yep. something like that because we will be probably from a random coach's box or suite. Yep. We will be pulling up the uh, podcast We will be heavily right. caffeinated. The Sports Crunch, Judd Zolgad, will be back with us with some uh, little, caffeinated little hot pizza takes. pizza maybe in us yep. as well. Yep. It'll be uh, plenty to digest uh, in a number of different ways from U.S. Bank Stadium on Monday night. We will have more for you from there. Uh, Matthew Collar, Ben Gessling, thanks for listening. We will talk to you Monday night.